Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is going to be part two with Chris Smith, the principal trumpet of the San Diego Symphony. He and I went for about three hours when we first got together. So I thought, you know, it would be great. We'll just split this up so it's a little bit more digestible for people. We also sort of did a him and I having a conversation for the first part, but this is actually a Q&A where some people send in some questions that they would like us to discuss and we ended up having a really great conversation about it. So I hope you enjoy that. Before we get into the episode, I do want to take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. This pandemic we are all facing has hit us all in different ways. In order to be able to serve their customers while acknowledging the need for safety, Houghton Horns has expanded their policies to include a 15-day money-back guarantee with free shipping on all new instruments and accessories. I've mentioned before that they have free in-person virtual equipment consultations to help you make the right choice for your instrument. And if you pair that with multiple easy financing options when you do decide which instrument is right for you, terms and conditions apply. It's very clear that Houghton Horns is making it much easier to test drive and purchase the best equipment possible during our uncertain times. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. So whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I think for this particular Q&A, because we're uh, closing in on two hours, which is awesome, but I think we should challenge ourselves to... um, However many questions there are, I have two that I can ask you, and then you have a okay. few. But I think we should aim I have, for I have a couple. like 30 seconds or less, just like main points efficiently co- communicated to see if we can challenge ourselves to be... Uh, are you saying that I'm inefficient, I didn't Ryan? say that, Come no. on, dude. <laughs> um, I think let this me, could be a fun exercise, your... though, to uh, see if we could sort of deliver... Um, the important yeah. points. Uh, we, we can get while you're pulling that up. I can get you started because one is specific to you. you. Um, one, I, I did I not. It. I did not save who asked me these questions, so I can't say. Oh, okay. I can say them for one of them because I remembered. But this other person, somebody yeah. sent me a thing that said, basically, like, what did you learn from Jim Thompson? Oh, that's easy. I mean, um, uh, I learned how to physically play the horn, and and that's no slight to. Um, to Jim's ability to teach music, um, but when I when I showed up at Eastman, uh, you know, uh, I was literally the first eight lessons were, were it was just buzzing basics. It's now called the buzzing book, and then like easy Conconi things that we would you know or Bordoni things that we would just sort of like examine like how do these exercises relate to these easy easy things you know. Um, I, I liked his process. I didn't realize it then. I, I do now, but the the process of of um, starting easy and applying these concepts to easy things. Um, you know, I was talking with somebody recently. I said, "Gosh, if I ran a trumpet studio, um, I and I know this isn't the thirty second thing you wanted, but <laughs> <laughs> but you'll dig this. May uh, actually be curious about your thoughts on this. You know, it's like um, you know, you walk into a gym and. Uh, you go, okay, I wanna, I wanna learn how to um, do the Olympic weightlifting stuff. I wanna learn the clean and jerk and the snatch. Well, what's the first thing you learn? With a you PVC know, like, pipe actually, yeah. You, and, and what do you do with that PVC Just, pipe? You stand it up, you deadlift. <laughs> you learn how to deadlift yeah. first. Like that's the fundamental thing is like, okay, how do I, how do I keep my back straight, whatever. So I said, okay, well, how does this apply to the trumpet? You know, and I go, okay, what are the, what is like the hardest thing um, or the most sort of tricky thing for, for trumpet players to kind of do, which is generally speaking, sort of like play softly, you know? So I go, okay, if I was taking, taking trumpet students, I would, first of all, all the freshmen, they get, they get four 15 minute lessons a week. So, so I see them 
frequently and um and and I can have my hands on them so to speak uh because you know as I've I've talked with other people who are you know when you're in college it's like who do you see more often during your week your band director or orchestra director or your trumpet teacher you know your applied music teacher it it's probably the yeah, the, the band director yeah. right and, and so your band director may or may not play your instrument and so here you have somebody that's telling you no don't do that. Do it this other way. So we learn these really bad habits from people who who their job is to make it sound good, right? I mean, their job is to keep it keep the thing together, um, but they don't always understand what it takes for the trumpet to play softly or whatever, right? So we end up kind of like sucking on the horn a bit, and then we trying to sound good, but it's not working because I'm not putting the right kind of air into all these things, right? So, um, and I'll, this kind of leads me back to Jim's, um, Jim's thing, but like I say, okay, with the freshmen get four 15 minute lessons. So I can really keep them on track here. Sophomores get, you know, um, three 20 minute lessons. The juniors get, uh, you know, two 30 minute lessons. Seniors get full, full hour lesson. Right. So, um, you can really dig in with, with the older, with the older students and they've got the chop development to actually play for an hour. Um, so, Anyways, all of that to say that like, you know, you just start from ground zero. You go, this is how to deadlift. So the expectation is not that, um, the expectation is not that a student would play um, uh, an etude or a solo um, and go, okay, that's the most beautiful piano thing in the world. It's like, no, that's, that's actually, you're gonna learn how to do that much later. Right now, all I wanna hear you play is comfortably. <laughs> that's all I care about. I just want comfortable airflow. We'll, we'll deal with this other stuff in a bit. I just want to drill in like good habits. And so that's, you know, what I got from Jim, you know, and I didn't, I couldn't put voice to it at that moment when I was studying with him, but it, it certainly was, here's like from the ground up how to, how to um, physically play the instrument. And then you decide later how loud and soft you yeah. want to play. But I've given you the physical know-how of like, here's how you play softly. Here's how you play softly when you're tired. Here's how you, you know, whatever. So um, that he, <laughs> I remember I came in one week and I said, I was kind of tired of Bordoni's. And um, I said, listen, I prepared this Charlie A for you. Um, you know, can I play this for you? And he's like, no, you can do it. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> and, it, and I was like stunned. And I said, I thought, well, you're my teacher. Like, shouldn't, shouldn't you be listening to this? And he's like, I know you can do it, but you're probably going to do it wrong from a physical standpoint. So I'd rather just keep working with you <laughs> on like how to physically solve these problems that you've, that you're presenting yeah, to right. me, you know? And, and so though that was a frustrating lesson for, for me, cause I was used to like, okay, let's just keep playing harder and harder stuff and, you know, just keep doing this. And he's like, you're going to win a job someday and it's not going to be based on your Charlie It's going to be based on your very fundamental, like way of playing the instrument. And if you don't understand what you're doing, <laughs> you're guessing. So let's stop guessing and let's figure this out. And that was the last time I brought in a Charlie for him. <laughs> I would agree. I, I couldn't agree with anything more. Like I, the yeah. I've likened it to the same exact analogy where if I'm like squatting and my form is all messed up yeah. at 365 pounds, invariably, yeah. and I've had to do this a few times, invariably. Oh, now you're bragging. By the way, you're bragging now, dude. I, 365 is over my one rep what? at the moment. So no, you, now you're just right, bragging. Well, <laughs> let's say I can squat 365, but I have all sorts of form breakdown, right? Well, yeah, invariably, yeah, 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 you're yeah. going to have to go back and you're going to have to do lighter weight and fix yeah. whatever. And so there is some merit in testing your limits to see like where the breakdown happens so you can know what to focus sure. on. But like... Yeah. That same exact thing applies to the trumpet where you would just say to yourself, all right, instead of just like constantly testing what I'm capable of and not really being able to do it, let's just back up to wherever I can do everything really, 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 really well. Right. And then slowly right. build into holding on to that while I progress into, for me, what it ends up being is like faster tempos with the same exercises. So we're adding variations of difficulty right. into the thing that we've already built good habits into. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked before, um, maybe not on the podcast, but certainly just in conversation over the last few months about just like, you know, where where and how to add degrees of difficulty and why to add degrees of difficulty, right? U ultimately, so that when the performance comes that we're getting paid for, um, that it it is actually easier, you know, that we're training in a manner that we're adding challenges so that when it actually counts, it's 
feels like lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the form doesn't necessarily I mean, break down. This is going to be a way too generalized statement, but I, I think the majority <laughs> of people who experience performance anxiety do because they don't understand how their instrument works. And so they don't know what to expect when they get there. And so they've done some preparation and they have some idea of what it's going to be, but they almost yeah. expect that there will be some amount of... Um, unexpected whatever, right? Other than like the way I have prepared has shown me exactly how I want to go through every single thing. So even if something goes wrong, the next note, I'm back to what my plan was. But this is like Barbara's huge about having a plan for everything. And I think the more of a yeah. plan you, I know you would agree with this, the more of a plan you have for as yeah. many details as you can get right, like the less that yeah. is unexpected and the more you know, I feel like having that, you sit in that preparation and say like, what do I have to be nervous about? There are other reasons you would be nervous, of course, but that's, I think, such a huge yeah. key part of the equation. Yeah. Well, what do they say? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, right? of course. You know, um, every, every fighter's got a plan until they, get, until they take one to the nose. Um, you know, and so like we all do try to prepare in our best way uh, of like, well, here is my plan. Um, you know, but understanding, and this just comes with, with, uh, experience, you know, of like many, many repetitions over, in my case, you know, 20 years uh, of um, going, okay, I know when I get myself into trouble, I know how, how to get out of that trouble, you know, and that it's been vitally important just playing these like long etudes, right? You're like, well, I had a plan here. And then like, gosh, I felt a little bit tired. Gee, the fact that I've been doing this for 30 or 40 minutes, it must not have anything <laughs> to do with that at all. No way. <laughs> um, but, you know, you get into something, you're like, this is going well, but now I'm starting to get tired. It's like, okay, well, we got to like work around this, right? So maybe that means the piano isn't quite as soft as I had planned. Well, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, or maybe the maybe the forte isn't as loud as I had planned. Well, that's okay I mean, you're, too. You know, it's like you're the, testing the, yourself in a very confined space. Like, you're right, with this flow right. state, right? Like you're testing yourself in a space where like it's difficult for you to achieve the thing, but it's possible. I think too many people are trying right. to develop plans on material that is significantly harder than what they're capable of without a plan of how they're going to attack. Yeah, it. exactly. And so that's, you know, that, that um, just to bring that back to the kind of buzzing basic stuff, the buzzing book stuff, you know, it's like this is that it's just very base level, like how to physically play the instrument. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, studying with Jim, uh, and, and hearing him play these Bordonis and hearing him play the orchestral excerpts that, that we were kind of working on, um, there weren't, there weren't actually a lot. Um, but you know, just, just hearing, just being in the presence of, of, um, you know, somebody who was just coming out of playing with the Atlanta symphony and who was obviously principal in Montreal and the, all those great recordings, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, uh, um, just being in the room with that sound was like, okay, man, I was just taking a lesson yeah, from sure. that, you know, <laughs> every, every day. And the way um, you talk about your so, process is so indicative of like, you can make your own choices because you understand how things work. So you, then you're left with, well, let me yeah. do some experimenting. I can basically tongue right. X amount of notes in a row and have it be there. So I'm not worried about that. I'm going to be worried about what kind of articulation would this yeah. require. And I think the more base understanding we have of how our instrument works, the more musical risks we can take because we have greater consistency from yeah. take to take. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think, um, like I said, I mean, everybody's going to come at um, whatever it is they're playing um, with a different experience than what, I will, or you will. It's like, it's not my, it's not my job. If I were teaching somebody, it's not my job to teach somebody how to do it, how I would do it. <laughs> you know, the idea is to, is to get their best, uh, you know, performance out of it, their best plan uh, for, for something out of it. You know, um, just off the top of my head, you know, student, student says, uh, gosh, you know, how do you, how do you get through this etude and play, play that high C at the end or something? It's like, well, you know, if first of all, can you play a high C? Let right. me hear you play high C. And it's not that great. And you go, you have no business playing this etude right. because you are right out of the gate, can't play the last note. So we're not going to work on this etude. <laughs> you know, we need to work on other things, very much more uh, base level. Like, what do you need to do to get a high C? You know, um, sometimes that's an equipment thing. Sometimes that's just a practice thing. Sometimes it's a, you know, in, any number of variables. But, um, you know, if, if students are out there and like, well, I really want to do this, but, uh, you know, I just can't seem to get through it. It's like, well, there's a different problem than 
you know, usually it's not an endurance problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, these stamina and endurance issues come from, you know, other places because I know most people who are serious about the trumpet are probably actually over-practicing than yeah. under-practicing. Man, and one thing but, I think that's really important to think about in terms of understanding how the trumpet works is if we were going to apply the analogy again to working out, there are like deadlift cues that are true for mm -hmm. everybody. And then there's deadlift approaches yeah. that are not the same. So like everybody's going to yeah. have the bar in the middle of their foot, right? Everybody's yeah. going to have to try to like push, like have the weight balance between their heels and their 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 toes, right? Yeah. So it's not you're not leaning forward, you're not sitting back. Everybody's gonna have to finish the the thing with like a hip thrust rather than sort of a ramp. Right. Now after that, how wide your stance is, right? right. How much you sit yeah. your hips back. This is yeah. but like you, you start with those foundational fundamental things and then you build exactly. from there. And I feel that right. th those these exist on the trumpet. Like it exists on the trumpet. Mm -hmm. Like everybody should be trying to breathe with their with the air on the lips to get it forward. So you're not like pushing air out, rather you're releasing air from the front. This is yeah. an Arnold Jacobs thing. I think everybody should be like having whatever the first note or the first few notes in their head, right? The mm -hmm. thing, it doesn't matter like exactly what it ends up being, but there's a few cues I think that are going to be true for every single brass player in terms of, consistent execution and then yeah. from there it's yeah. like with like your version of that that execution your style your articulation mm -hmm. that's where the personality comes in but i think yeah we can extract like key things that are going to be true for everybody yeah you know you mentioned arnold jacobs and and you mentioned um you know sort of like a, a performance anxiety and i don't think that i had seen this quote from him before and I, and I believe I'm not misquoting him um, or at least mis uh, attributing the idea. Um, I believe as Arnold Jacobs, I said, you know, you can't, um, and this isn't a quote, but it's a paraphrase, um, you know, that you can't uh, analyze while you're doing it. <laughs> you know, like that for me um, was, is a kind of a huge, um, eye-opening and, and sort of cue also in regards to sort of like, you know, being uptight or having performance anxiety or whatever. It's like, I realized like I was critiquing myself as I was, as I do things. And, and that's a, that's a habit. I mean, I'm not afraid to admit that, you know, that's something that's a challenge for me uh, mentally is to get myself out of like, what does this, what am I doing right now? And gosh, it's not what I want to sound like. And, and then, you know, the, the, sort of tumbling down the mental staircase of, of like, oh God, this isn't going, oh my God, oh my God. And then this note, and this note, you know, whereas the best performances I've ever had um, are, I'm just, I'm not focused on anything. I'm just focused on like, you know, just as you said, like stylistic things, you know, um, you know, and actually this, this little booth that I play in now, that, that was a new challenge to me um, because I'm so used to like, relying on the room right. to, um, to find overtones and to, um, you know, understand like, oh, how loud should I play here? How soft or, you know, what will the room take uh, brilliance wise or, you know, any articulation wise or anything? Well, now that I've got this, this practice booth, um, man, the learning curve was ridiculous. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and now I've learned how to just like, oh, if I, if the horn is vibrating this way in my, in my hands and sort of like on my chops, then I know that what I'm getting on the, on, um, on, on tape is going to be fantastic, you know? And so it's made it so much easier to go out into larger spaces now and the opportunities I've had occasionally to play in our hall over the last uh, couple of months or like outdoor at the outdoor venue. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, you know what? I can do the same thing here. I don't have to like listen to the hall anymore. I just listen to like how this is vibrating in my hand. And I know that it's, that's that's down the yeah middle, that's like that you know? if then statement thing for me like you have and yeah. like i i basically have started to really think about this in terms of like so feedback right so we have in the gym we have cues right all that ultimately yeah. matters is that we complete the lift in with especially if form matters to us or whatever um, but once we yeah. do that, we can start to like build like a, a system of cues of if I think about this kind of thing or I set up in this way, I don't have to necessarily think right. about the whole. It's if I think about this one thing, usually the whole thing exactly. takes care of itself. And so for yep. for an instrument, I've started to think about the difference between kinesthetic and like 
musical feedback and like musical feedback the only way mm -hmm. to get it is through recording but once you start to hear yourself yeah. the way you want to sound you can start to pay attention to exactly what you said like oh it feels like this i when i breathe like right. this it does this or what it feels like in my hand or whatever and you can start yeah. to build like a kinesthetic relationship with your instrument that means that if it feels like this i sound the way i want to sound and like i would say 90 yeah. percent of my thought process when i'm playing the trumpet is focused on how i'm breathing and releasing air it's like hmm. after that, everything almost always takes care of itself, but like that's where things will go wrong for me. So I'm almost, hmm. I'm always focused on feeling it in the, like at the front and then releasing it in exactly the same spot. See, for me, the, the challenge with these etudes has been, um, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I figured out the low notes in Montreal, right? And I was like, man, I could play low notes as loudly and as broadly and whatever as, as, anybody, you know, and then when I transitioned into, you know, more principal playing and, and now only principal playing, you know, it's like, okay, I don't really need to worry about these low notes anymore. Right. And, um, there aren't a lot of things written for first trumpets that go down to low F sharps. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we're, we're required to worry about the notes that are an octave, two octaves. Um, if it's a pop show, maybe three octaves above that low F sharp. Um, and so, the challenge um, with these etudes is that, uh, well, they're all over the map. You know, you go from low F sharp to high C on some of these uh, um, Blazovich etudes. And so um, that, you know, uh, brought into a <laughs> very clear focus for me, like, uh-oh, um, how am I gonna do this? Because it's, it, was, it was like, well, I can, I can do this low note thing, but then the high notes sound like I'm like falling off of them. Or I can do the high note thing, but then the low notes are like really out of focus. And um, that has been a, you know, continuing struggle for me <laughs> to sort of thread that needle. But what helps is to, as you said, like if I have certain cues and, you know, I'll write, I'll actually write it into the music. Like, okay, at this point I need to take a deeper breath or, or I need to actually take a shallower breath or I need to, I need my chops to be a little bit more forward here or, you know, whatever the cue may or may not be. Um, you know, that, that gets written into the part and, and then it's helpful. And those sorts of things, you know, sort of keep me out of my own mind of like, oh man, here comes this low A and I just know it's not going to be into, oh man. And then I start to get tight and I'm playing this and then it's like, okay, now I'm, now I'm making mistakes because I'm worried about something, a, a line later, not just a measure later, Right, right. <laughs> you know? So like just sort of staying in the moment there and going, okay, I know this is coming, but if I go from this note to this note like this, and then I take this breath here and then I, you know, re-articulate with this sort of articulation, then I know that I'm set up to like play this scale down to the low. Yeah, it's a very Alexander Whatever technique thing to think of all the things you will yeah. do to ensure success yeah. rather than all the things you just don't want to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that, that's been a, you know, um, that's been a learning experience for me, um, you know, with these, with these etudes and, and, uh, just sort of like sorting out, okay, this, this is what I need, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm, you know, a big proponent of, uh, whatever it takes, yeah, yeah, for sure. you know, whatever it takes for the performance to go well, then do it. You know, um, so if I got to write stuff in the part, that's what I have to do, you know, so, uh, but it's been, it's been important for me to sort of realize those things, um, just with these, with these etudes and whatever of like, oh, you know what, I guess I still got to do this. It's all, it's all good, <laughs> you know, because there are very few etudes that are just like, oh, this, this sort of thing just goes between, you know, middle C and low right, C. Right, right. <laughs> or, you know, um, that we do kind of have to be all over the instrument. For sure. So. All right, yeah. do you got one? We could be slightly more brief, but that was a great... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a great conversation. Um, okay, I, I'm so, glad where that went. I, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to split these episodes up. I'll just start a yeah, Q&A yeah. and do a separate episode. Yeah, so... Um, from Instagram here, there's a question from Jarrett. I know Jarrett. I interviewed him. He's a yeah, tuba yeah. player, yeah. And uh, he says, "What are you listening for on an audition committee in, in instruments that aren't the trumpet?" So, um, that's a fairly easy and, and relatively short. I'll let you start. Answer. Well, so, um, and it's something that I had to figure out on my own too, which is obviously you need to be able to play in tune and in time with a beautiful sound. 
and um, stylistically correct. And and for me, um, with a good like articulation, with a good good front to the note, um, and arguably a good end to the note. <laughs> so um, so those are like the, those are like the the five things right out of the bat that it's like okay, if you're going to be a professional, these to to me this this is what I hold myself to. You know those five things. Um, now beyond that is, um, what I'm listening for is, is this person, are they making me feel at ease listening to them try to accomplish these five things? Or are they making me feel like they're really trying to accomplish these five things and, and it's the struggle, you know, they may be putting all the right notes in all the right places, but that is not how Gershwin goes, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, it's, I think it's vitally important, um, particularly for um, people um, that are uh, more advanced, let's say. Um, age has nothing to do with it, but just uh, accomplish, accomplished players, people that are like maybe getting close to winning an audition um, that, you know, make sure you understand and are in touch with what, um, what, you're, what you're presenting to people in terms of like, how do they feel when you get done playing? Do they feel like you were nervous? Do they feel like, um, you know, you're confident. I, I, I like to use the word aggression, you know, like I'm, I, I get turned on by people who, um, present something that's really confident and, and, and borderline ag aggressive. And I just say aggressive meaning, um, and that might not be the right word. It's just a word that comes to mind at the moment, but just somebody who really just kind of takes the bull by the horns. Right. Um, uh, so being aggressively confident, I guess, uh, um, but definitely confidence, you know, it's like, that's, that's a winning solution. The, the idea isn't just playing all the right notes in the right place. The idea is like, how do you make other people feel, you know, when you, when you play and if people get done, they go, man, that was really good. Okay. Be careful about that note. Be careful about that. You know, the pitch on this, it's like, it's all good. Like that, that does not bother me when I listen to French horn players or tuba players or trombone players. Um, what bothers me is when I hear people, when I, when they get done and I go, I feel really anxious. Yeah. I've only I've only <laughs> you know? sat on one committee was for a trombone audition. And you know, yeah. the guy that there were a few people who stood out and it was very clear. Yeah. I mean, and it, for those reasons actually, I would say that my yeah. biggest memory of the audition though was just hearing the amount of people that would I would just be like why would they do that? Like why, like, yeah. why would they present that? Do you know? Did they not practice this? Like, you, you get the sense that it's like yeah. there are some people who maybe haven't heard this piece before, or they didn't really yeah. know, or there are these wrong notes and stuff. Like, it's kind of what you were talking about earlier. Like, that's like a bigger. It's. I feel like taking care of those five things, like you described, is like yeah. gonna put you into a category of like the ten percent at the top, and then the, the, from yeah. there, it's like, oh, yeah. all right, is it easy, and do they like you? Right. Uh, and, th and that was a hard lesson for me to learn of like, gosh, you know, I, I was taking auditions and literally playing note perfect auditions and that would get me through the first round, <laughs> you know, um, but it wasn't getting me out of the next round because uh, as I figured out, you know, as I went along that I was like so concerned with being perfect that it was getting in the way of it just being right, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and um I'll never forget, uh, I auditioned for um, the principal for the New York Philharmonic, you know, and um, and I advanced, I, I think I was the only person that advanced out of the first round um, on that day. And I felt great about that. I was very proud of myself for having done that because I, I don't think I ever would have thought that I would ever legitimately audition for the New York Philharmonic. I mean, that's, you know, the 20 year old Chris that still lives in my head, <laughs> you know, that, that rears his head every once in a while. Um, and so I advanced and, um, there was a month between the preliminary round and, and the second round. And, um, so that I took that month to, you know, I just, I just tried to get everything perfect, 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 perfect. And, um, I went out on stage in the semifinal round and, um, I, I was, tight. <laughs> I was, uh, I won't say that I was nervous cause I wasn't like shaking, but I was tight and I don't really think that I missed any notes. Um, Ethan Bensdorf may correct me on that. He was on that panel. <laughs> he should feel free to correct me, but I didn't, I don't think I missed many notes, but I remember I got done. They let me play the whole list. I got done. I walked off stage and I just, 
I just thought that is not how any of that yeah. goes. I mean, I was just throwing darts, you know, and, um, and that I just, I felt uncomfortable, you know, like I was just, I couldn't get out of that tight, just sort of like, man, this just has to be perfect. Cause it's the New York Philharmonic and I just want it to be perfect. And, and I was just sort of like, man, I was spinning those wheels that were going nowhere. And I just, I walked off stage and I told myself, first of all, I knew at that moment that if they advanced me, which I already knew they were not going to, but I was like, if they advance me, then they're, they're focused on something that I actually don't want them to be focused on. And they were right not to advance me. There's no problem. And, um, you know, but I walked off stage and I was like, I never want to do that again. I never want to play in a space where I'm not comfortable with like, um, presenting something <laughs> that, that is like, this is how it goes. This is my interpretation of how it goes, not leaving a quite like, is that what you guys want? <laughs> like, I don't know. Is that, are you guys cool with that? Or, you know, because then we get into this whole, whole thing of like, is it perfect? You know, is it no yeah. perfect? And that's not the requirement. You know, the requirement I do believe is make it sound right. Yeah. You know, and, um, and so when I've taken that attitude, um, after that experience, that was when I started advancing again into much later rounds of just going, you know what? It's okay. Not, I'm not going to be everybody's taste. That's okay. I'm not trying to be everybody's taste. I'm trying to find a place that's going to be right for all of us involved, sure. <laughs> you know? And so with that in mind, then it freed me up to go, gosh, you know, I can play this Gershwin and it doesn't have to be in perfectly in time. You know, it might be a clarinet player out there, a French horn player out there that's listening to this going, where does my part fit in here? And can I hear myself playing with this person and, you know, whatever. So, um, so for me, um, I, there are many auditions that I won't even take notes. Um, you know, like I've, I've sat in auditions and I just go, how does this person make me feel? And that may not be the most fair uh, thing in terms of like, I don't mind taking notes and getting back to people and and saying here here's what I heard, you know. But nine times out of ten, the notes that I'm taking are like the things that bother me about somebody's playing isn't like their time necessarily or what. It's like if they if somebody plays with bad time um, or bad intonation, it's like well, it's, there's no time for a feeling. <laughs> you just go, this is this is kind of not good. Yeah. So. Uh, Sure, enough, sure. You know, um, but like in a final round, I won't even take notes usually. Um, I'll just kind of listen for a bit. Be like, this person sounds confident, and they they're clearly a fine player because they're in the final round here. So um, let's just let's just go with what is this? What is this making me feel like? Is this somebody that I want to sit next to or down the line from, or somebody that I think would be a good fit? Just you know, their their ability to play a lot of different kinds of music convincingly. Sure. Got a yeah. question from Steven Wadzak. Says, yeah. would love to hear both your insights on the process of learning the recording game, multi-tracking, editing, et cetera, during the pandemic, get uh. to the point of producing high quality content so quickly. So we've already covered this a little bit from you and what you feel like you were learning. So maybe you and I could just sort of give like a one piece of advice, like we didn't know at the yeah. beginning, now we know um, kind of kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the question was about both audio and video. And my uh, knowledge is, is highly limited because it's not um, what I'm doing with an etude video. I'm not interested in making a movie. So, you know, I, I just want a camera that has a wide enough angle that it's not just a close up of me, of my face, uh, you know, doing something. Um, you know, so I'm trying to, trying to find a camera that, um, you know, the, the, the picture looks good. Um, it's going to be a stationary camera. I'm not doing A2s with multiple view. I just, I don't value that, you know. Um, but in terms of the mic department, you know, it's like, I think um, it's if, if people are interested in recording themselves, that they should invest in the, you know, the mic that they can afford. Um, so some people may afford a $10,000 mic. Some people may afford a $250 mic, you know, and that the idea is, um, you know, the requirement isn't um, a, a Royer, you know, uh, 122 mic, which is sort of somewhat of an industry standard. Um, I actually, I just watched uh, the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra, uh, their Christmas special, and all, I was happy to see all those guys in the trumpet section. They are they were all playing on Royers, the same same mic I've got here in my studio. 
Um, but that's not the requirement, you know. Um, the requirement, I think, is just, you know, you should buy the best quality that you can afford right now. Um, and for me, I was able to afford what I think is a top quality mic and hopefully we'll never have to buy another mic again. So, um, and then from there you just experiment, you know, um, I was shocked. I had been told, Oh, when you get this, this ribbon mic, man, you're going to sound amazing. Right. So I plug the thing in, I record 10 seconds and I, okay, let's listen to this. I was like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> and then I learned about EQ and that was a whole just experimentation. And it got, I got to a point where I was like, I'm kind of done experimenting. I can really kind of, you know, I don't know what else to do. I just found a place where I was like, what I'm hearing playing back to me is what I hear in my head, basically. So I'm, I'm happy with it, you know. Um, and then now that I'm in the studio, okay, there was a whole experimentation with uh, added reverb and, and um, room size and all that stuff that you can get into in Logic. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that a lot of what I've done is through experimentation, um, but there are a lot of people that have helped me. Um, and so don't be afraid to reach out and talk to people that um, know more than you. You know, most people in whatever it is that they're good at, um, they don't mind giving some tips. You know, I mean, I wouldn't waste somebody's time with like, hey, can I, can I, can I like come over to your place and sit here and you walk me through this for four hours? Like that, that's not going to be a solution, but certainly, you know, by spending uh, some money on a decent mic, um, an interface, which I don't know anything about. I mean, I've learned, I mean, I just went off of a buddy's suggestion, uh, use an ID, uh, audience ID four. It's a one channel because I don't need to record anybody else other than me. Um, and, uh, it wasn't that expensive. And then I, you know, just use the Apple suite of uh, uh, Logic Pro and Final mm -hmm. Cut Pro. And I continue to to um, try to experiment a bit, not so much with the playing, but more with like the intro video or the outro little things, you know, that I'll put together and just try to make it at least somewhat entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, there's a yeah. billion videos about this on YouTube, which is where I learned about yeah. it. Uh, the, yeah. I feel what I've learned recently that I think could be of use to people is you, you basically, you do everything Chris just said, right? Like you ask yourself, what do I need? Like, what is the thing? What is the scope of the project? What, what is the long-term thing? Like right. if you see yourself doing what Chris is doing, you can justify buying a Royer 122. But if you're not going to be doing that, you may just need like a thing that hooks up to your iPhone, you know, and that, and it just works like right. that. Like you don't necessarily need, I, I think just knowing what it is you're trying to produce would be the first question. What I've learned though is yeah. like, it's sort of the necessity is the mother of invention for me in that like everything I've built was because I was like, well, I, I could use this piece of equipment for this particular thing. And you start building and piecing things together. So it would be like, yeah. like you were saying, all of those essentials. And then just asking yourself, what vision do I have for a thing? Because my vision is far beyond what I'm doing with my YouTube channel with like the tutorials and stuff. I'm interested in doing yeah. interviews to like make promotional content for like my kids of school, you know, I'm interested in making yep. like short cinematic movies about and drinking coffee in the afternoon. Like I'm interested in these kinds of things. And so, and so I learned how to make like LUTs for color grading and I learned how to use Photoshop so mm. I could make thumbnails and like everything served a purpose for something that would have cleaned right. it up. So the, the best, everything Chris said, I think is incredible. What I would add to it is take it incredibly seriously. Like for me, mm -hmm. that could be something as simple as clean up the background of the shot that you have, right? Or like what you have, Chris, <laughs> here is like everything is, you know, yeah. brand related. But like sometimes I'll actually yeah. have left like a sweatshirt on a chair or maybe, you yeah, know, you yeah. have like just yeah. clean it up, you know, like think about what it's going to look like. Right. Move the camera a little bit so you're not just like learn how to frame yourself in a shot so you don't like have a whole bunch of negative space. Don't film things in portrait. That's a bad idea. Film things in landscape yeah. so they look nice. Nice on you, you yeah. know, like all these small little details of it's worth it to take it that seriously because it's what we expect yeah. to see now. So you may not need like what I have is a Canon 6D Mark II. That's like a thousand dollar camera. Mm -hmm. right? You may not need that. Mm -hmm. But like knowing that you should shoot with your iPhone, which have great cameras anyway, and yep. to turn it sideways, learn how to frame yourself, clean up the shot. And then like have like a decent yeah. microphone that's going to make you sound good. That's going to put you in a level of quality that we just expect to see. Right. 
exactly. I think, uh, you know, I mean, anybody could go onto my YouTube channel and, and look back at, uh, you know, etudes when I was recording in um, either the hall in Montreal or I, I recorded a few in the hall here in, uh, in San Diego. And, you know, I mean, I look at that now and I go, Oh God, I should really like, first of all, redo this <laughs> with the, with, with the, with the better mic. Um, but I did, I did have a sense of like framing. I mean, I am a sort of amateur photographer, you know, so my sense of framing and stuff are, you know, that wasn't, um, foreign yeah. to me, you know, um, what has become a little more comfortable with is understanding, like, if you're going to speak, um, on there, man, you got to put way more energy into it than what we think just sort of normal speaking yeah. is, <laughs> you know, especially if you're, if you're, um, if, the, if you're speaking on the video, you know, um, so think of yourself as an actor, um, you know, this is the sort of thing where it's like, there's an entertainment aspect to this that goes unmentioned, but is an important part of it, you know, that like we do want people to take, the, if you're going to take the time to record it, and we're going to take the time to video the thing and put it together, you know, we want, I assume we want people to see these things, you know? And so if we want people to see these things, then we have to make something that, um, that looks halfway decent, you know, or at least as good as we can make it, you know? And, um, and then, you know, you promote it from there, whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, some, some of the videos I've seen, you know, like you said, it's like somebody's like in their closet recording. Yeah, like, right. I don't want to watch that. I don't really care about the trumpet playing. I can't even watch And this, like bad you know? audio too, um, bad audio. I mean, our, our iPhones well, are like uh, the minimum acceptable amount maybe. Uh, you know, it has like yeah. the auto gain on it. So you're going to like always sound about the same volume and it's just worth it to get. Yeah. If you, you know, we should have recording devices anyway for our playing. And Well, exactly. I mean, that's just it, right? It's like if, if, um, if we weren't taking some sort of care to record ourselves, you know, as best as we could maybe afford, whether it's as a student or whatever, you know, the, the, um, the videos that I had done in the hall, um, in Montreal were from a, um, a, a zoom recorder, you know, that I just set up 10 feet away from me. Um, but that was what I thought, Hey, I sound, I sound decent. You know, I've got a nice picture of this hall behind me, you know, the, the playing in the hall. Okay, cool. Um, but like, I'm not using a cell phone. Like I couldn't ever do that. Um, you know, I had a, 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 just an audio thing as an Ederall, which now is owned by a different company. Um, Roland, I think, uh, owns Ederall now. But, um, you know, it was just this little thing that actually the very, uh, probably the first month, no, the first like two or three months, I was just using this like handheld, like little thing just at the end of my bell you know, and, and sort of EQ'd some things and, and that was it. That thing probably cost me, I don't know, not even $200, you know, and, and I bought that like 11 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that. Um, so, you know, the, the requirement is not to have the best equipment. The requirement is for, for us to buy the best equipment that we can currently sort of like get our hands on, you know, that we can comfortably, afford to buy. So, um, I think that if somebody, I just got a new iPhone, uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, and I think that most people are familiar with spending, you know, upwards of a thousand dollars on an iPhone. If you spend a thousand dollars on an iPhone, I would hope that you have money somewhere sitting around. Um, and I, I, I hope I'm not making a, a generalized statement, but you know, I would hope that if you ha can spend close to a thousand dollars on an iPhone, um, that basically goof around on, um, that you would spend $250 and get a sure, good money. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, that there's room for that if this is what we're going to take yeah, seriously. If, the, if as you want to do it, like that's the idea is if you want to do it. And yeah. one of the things they asked about, what Stephen asked about was also um, producing it high quality content a lot. And this is something I, I would leave just a, a word on and then we can move on to the next question as well. I think it's very important to take the time to understand the things that you're working with. So instead of like, yeah. I'm just going to slap something together, like it was worth my time to understand like how to edit things in Final Cut Pro and what I was doing and why I was doing it. 
because I can do yeah. it significantly yeah. faster now because I know like I basically shoot videos with the purpose of editing them because I know like how to leave a phrase and then cut to sure. the next one. Yeah. So it, it's because I know about editing and all that, like I can shoot the video in a specific way that makes it super easy. Right. I just think it's worth the right. time to like actually like watch some YouTube videos. I mean, you could go as far as buying a course, yeah. which I think is actually the best option. There are a ton of mm -hmm. them out there for learning again, like logic, Final Cut Pro or the Adobe versions of those things. There's, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. Photoshop for making thumbnails and graphics. I took a 30-day thing on YouTube uh, by a, a, a channel named Flearn, P-H-L-E-A-R-N. Mm -hmm. It was a free, let's learn Photoshop in 30 days, and now I know mm -hmm. how to use Photoshop. Well, I'll, I'll have to write that down later. Um, you know, I think it's important for people... Um, to realize that if they want to get started with this, that they're probably going to start, um, everybody has a different starting point, right? And the idea is like, well, you know, you're not going to know everything up front. You can, you can read something. It's like reading about playing the trumpet. You know, it's like, okay, I got all the information. Right. Let's go. And you're like, <laughs> like right. You didn't, like, we got to practice this. You got to like, you're going to figure sure. it out as you go. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm figuring things out. Luckily for me, the, you know, if we're talking about just etude videos, there's not a lot of videography that goes into it. So, so where, what needs to happen is that it has to sound good, you know? Um, but I do, you know, I have learned some things about, you know, um, I don't need it to be artistically visually pleasing, right? Like I'm not trying to make a movie. Whereas when we do these other things with other people, that's, that, that's Tim Sager's specialty. He has a vision for those things, um, and and he has the know-how. Um, for me, I'm like I don't I don't know how I would make a you know Bousquet etude more visually sure. pleasing. I mean, I guess I could do, but I, I just that's not my interest level. And in like I'm gonna have this landscape in the background while I'm doing you know I'm gonna take photo, these photos that I have of the Alps, and when I go to the high sea, and <laughs> I'm gonna you know it's just like. I don't want to overproduce it. You know, I just want to, this is, these are kind of for educational sure. purposes. And, and you know the purpose of what it is. Go. And I think that's, that's really the ultimate point. It's just like, what's the purpose? That yeah. will inform what gear you get. That will inform whether or not you have one yeah. or two. Like I have one camera right now, but I'd like to shoot some interviews. So now I'm looking at a second camera because like, that's a, th right. that's like what it looks like. Uh, also, right. what? yeah, just take the time. Like I've learned an inordinate amount about lighting because I bought good lights and those lights were different. And then, so right. I had to learn all about that and color temperature and all this. So yeah. It, See, I'm colorblind. That's why like uh, some of this stuff that comes out might be a little, little bit funky, but that's why my Instagram is all uh, black and white because I just don't <laughs> want to deal with it. <laughs> uh, nice. So it doesn't change the lighting aspect sure. of it though, but it certainly I'm just saying, the color like aspect, if you wanted to like, go into more of like the video production type thing, like I have a yeah, video yeah, coming yeah. out tomorrow on my YouTube of a video that Kathleen and I did about a favorite Christmas memory and then a performance of How Great Thou Art. I set up my iPhone for one of the shots. I used my DSLR for the other one. Yeah. I, I actually basically talked about what I would do. So I presented that thing and then I talked about what I would do differently based on like what I so it's like you basically say here's the best of what I can do and then you bring that vision to life and then you say okay right. how would I make it better and then you take all that information but I find you have to commit to right. I'm going to struggle through this learning part of it so that it w so basically Absolutely. the only reason I feel like I or probably you would agree that I can generate a lot of content quickly is because I've been doing it for a while, not because it became right. easily. It's just like I learned and I stuck with it and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having an artistic vision or some vision of what it is you want the end result to be. Um, and then understanding that like, if you don't have that talent level at the moment that it may take you a, a few tries to practice to, you know, sort of get, get it to that point. Also, you know, what also helps is making sure that the the content is good, <laughs> meaning, you know, um, if you're a sixth grade trumpet player listening to this, you're probably not going to have the same number of hits on, you know, your version of the Hummel as, you know, um, Hokan or Wynton Marcellus's, you know, version of right. the Hummel, <laughs> you know, that we have to understand what our expectations are. And, and, but for me, like I said, the driving thing is, is the audio. I want to make sure that I sound good and that, and that what I'm, what I'm putting out is, of um, my best quality, which I think is a is a pretty high quality, and um, and, and and then sure. we go from there, you know. So, you got another question? Yeah. 
Let's do one more. Um, yeah. Well, my wife wrote in and said, how do I? <laughs> I can't. I'm not uh, sure I can be much help with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now these are, these are, David Cook says, how has living right by the ocean affected your trumpet playing? It's like, well, it's distracted sure. my trumpet playing because I look at the ocean. Um, my wife says, um, appropriate ways to interrupt trumpet players during practice if you really need something or um, techniques for reducing and eliminating loud outbursts of <laughs> profanity while practicing. Um, Headphones. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so somebody here uh, on Instagram did write, uh, this person, trumpet involuntary. Nice. Um, exercises focused on sound. So, I, I mean, I... I don't know how to answer that other than like everything is focused on sound. I, I know, imagine it's like a, how do we develop sound? Like a, how do we improve our sound yeah, concept? Yeah. I mean, uh, for me, uh, that's, it's a tricky situation because like that means like we could take, if you can play this etude, then that means that you're going to like be an amazing trumpet player. And, you know, um, I don't know that there's an X plus Y equals Z to like, if I play this etude, then I will have a good sound. Or if I play this exercise, then I will have a good sound. To me, I, you know, we can go back to the recording thing of like, listen, like if you have a recording of something, I think the, the one, one of the best things I ever did for my playing when I was in Montreal and was starting to take auditions again was I had um, that Phil Smith CD. And um, I would listen to Phil play uh, the opening to pictures. And then I put my recording device where I thought I had about the same proximity I felt um, to what I was hearing on his CD. And then, and, um, and then I would play. And then I would go listen to him. And then I would listen to me. And, and I learned like, man, I am just not putting out the same amount of sound, <laughs> you know? And um, that went on for months that I would, I would do that. I would listen and then, and then record and then listen to him again and then listen to me. And then finally I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm at least matching what I think is about the same volume of what he was doing on that, on that orchestral uh, excerpt CD. Um, so uh, exercises for sound, the exercises to listen and then recreate. You know, there, there, there's no like, oh, if I just play this G at the beginning of Arbin, like if I just focus on playing these Gs, these whole notes off a good sound. If you don't have a concept, then you're just fishing, you know? And, and what I thought was like, oh man, I've, you know, even at the start of this, you go, oh, well, I've, you know, won a number of auditions in my life and seen a lot of success. I thought that I'd recorded myself plenty and I thought I knew what I was doing. Oh, I mean, as you may know, you know, just recording myself almost on a daily basis over the last nine months, I have learned so much <laughs> about how to produce more of what I'm trying to produce on the trumpet um, that wouldn't have existed because I thought I was recording enough. I thought I'd done all the work that I needed to do. And then I find out now 20 years in that I'm going, oh, I'm still learning here. I'm still improving. I'm still, you know, um, and if this hadn't happened, I mean, I'd still be a good trumpet player, right? I'd still have my job. I'd still all this stuff, but there would have been this like kind of um, blind yeah. spot that, you know, would be in my playing that I, that could be improved. And I, and I have been working on, there are things that, you know, that I do work on on a daily basis with the help of the mic and just understanding like, um, you know, what it picks up and, and, and everything. So, you know, I would just say, I, I'm not going to, get into like what exercises there are because I think everything is an exercise in sound. You know, I mean, it's what we do. What I think about in terms of what exercises in sound, I say sound is energy. And so like we need, we want to make sure that we're putting out um, a really thick like laser beam of, of energy and not like a flickering light bulb of energy, you know? So um, that's, kind of a starting point that I work with with myself and, and when I hear other people that when I'm turned off by my own playing it's not because of right or wrong notes it's that the energy yeah. is lacking and, and that and so I consider sound to be energy and um, so I would say listen to people record yourself and then listen back to those people and listen to yourself and just kind of keep keep going until you feel like what you're doing is is a close proximity uh, pro close approximation of yeah, what they're doing yeah I would agree I mean 
if you listen, I, I would hear Barbara say all the time, it's totally true. If you listen to your, if you hear yourself the most, that's why you sound like you. So you're going to have to replace that with like mm -hmm. getting a different concept because everything starts with your sound concept. I, I suppose if we're digging really deep, you could argue something like long tones would be an effective use because the point is just to sit and listen to your sound. It doesn't really have any, yeah. uh, I would say, it doesn't have a strong musical application because everything changes when you start playing phrases and stuff, but it right. can be a way for you to sit and listen to like resonance and sort of almost like I would say get some kinesthetic feedback for like what you're like hearing sure. that. And then I would argue one of the greatest tools we have for de for uh, ensuring, not maybe not developing, but ensuring uh, good sound production would just be very, very slow practice where there's no more technical uh, yeah. things in the way. So then it just becomes right. like, if it, things are slow enough, I should be able to play with my most beautiful sound the whole entire time. And it just right. becomes a tool to be able to um, see where things might fall apart, see where things um, are easy. And it's like, I know what to focus on. But again, mostly it's about trying to get that information that we need in parts where it doesn't work so that when we start to go faster, we know how to approach it to try to get that same kind of sound. I'd argue that that would be just about it for terms of protocol but yeah it's basically all going to be related to your sound yeah. concept yeah you know uh, i mean i'm sure there are teachers out there that that you know say oh no you gotta you gotta play this you gotta play that but i, I think it just starts with the concept yeah I, I guess there's one more and, like playing in the center of the pitch is going to be a prerequisite right like we can't so like sure. you know there's kids who play sharp and then their tuning slide is like halfway out and so the way to fix that for me is there's i mean I can't really describe it yeah. here, but a way to sort of bend within the note to find note bending can be effective yeah. to help find a more resonant part, but you have to still then yeah. like when you find that resonant part, then you have to say, all right, I'm going to memorize that. And that becomes my new sound concept. Right. So it's still only a tool to feed developing that concept is what you hear. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that like those, those ideas can be applied to, Sure. Everything, not just like if I do this exercise and I'm resonant, then therefore I'm resonant on everything else. No, I don't and think that's like, true well, at all. No, you just you you just need to be resonant on everything, and and playing with your sound on on everything consistently. You know, top to bottom. You know, loud to soft. Um, you know, so I, uh, you know, I don't mean to cheap out on the answer. No, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish I could. I, I wish I could say, yeah, play these exercises. It'll make you yeah, sound like better. Uh, it's just not my like belief. Like I said, I do have a belief that through there's like various drills that we can do, but all again, all it's doing is turning us onto a possibility. It's not necessarily saying that it is a reality. You're just saying, oh, you are capable of playing right. with this amount of resonance. So now you know that you should strive to do it because you've shown yourself like what was already there. You just weren't approaching it in the yeah. correct way. So I do think there's some value in that. Well, and I think that, you know, that just, you know, kind of going back to these etude videos is that's like, well, here here is an example of a professional playing this that I, I think too often, and I don't know if trumpet involuntary there, uh, I don't know if they're a student or not, but you know, I mean, we're all students, but like, you know, if they're of, of a college age or whatever, um, that, you know, people are learning these etudes thinking like, gosh, if I just learned the Charlier, then, you know, if I learned Charlier 7 really, really well, then I'll get a job. Or if I just, if I'm able to play all these Charliers, then I'll have a job, you know? And, and, and there seems to be a fair amount of disconnect when I hear people in a masterclass setting sort of like, um, you know, play, play Charlier and then, and then go, okay, great. Um, let's, let's do a couple excerpts. And they play, you know, Beethoven call. And it's like, I don't understand yeah. what's happening here. Have you never heard this? Or or the opposite of like, they sound great on, on you know, uh, pictures at an exhibition, but then like they can't play Charlie A1 or, you know, whatever. And you're like, I don't understand. Like, and you, you realize like, okay, people do kind of learn through rote in a way of like, well, I've listened to a million people play pictures at an exhibition and I model my pictures at an exhibition after this person. And you're like, right, you spent a lot of time doing that. Did you spend a lot of time listening to to this Bousquet etude or this uh, Van Edelbosch or whatever? It's like, well, no, there aren't there any you out go, there. Yeah. And you're like, right, okay, well, so that's what I'm trying to do is like fill the gap a little bit and go. I'm not saying I'm the end all. I'm definitely not saying. I've always said that this is not the way to play these excerpts or, or these um, um, etudes. But 
it is a well, way. It's definitely a good model. There's no doubt. I mean, you may not say that about yourself, but well, I will say that about that too. That it's definitely yeah. like a very worthwhile model for anybody. You know, like. Well, I can only yeah. hope so. You know, and 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 that's why you know obviously it's like the more you know I've had to cut myself a little bit of slack because I've never produced this much content before, and and so there are some things that I'm I'm not happy with. You know, um, get backing myself into corners of of either like these high notes um, were a little bit of a struggle, or these low notes weren't as resonant as what I wanted. But this was the best I could do in the time frame that I gave myself. You know, and so it's like, well, it goes out. You know, um, I could probably be more, um, you know, careful. Uh, maybe careful is not the right word, but like, you know, when you're trying to learn an etude and then and then record it. 48 hours later, you know, it's like, okay, this is just, this is an exercise in, in focus <laughs> versus like, I'm going to, you know, sort of practice this Bousquet or this Vanetta Bosch for like two weeks and wait until I have a week off and then spend this time, you know, like really getting into these etudes. That's kind of not what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm not really getting like deep into, um, some of the, yeah. some of these etudes, you know, and, 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 and I probably should take a little bit more care to do that. Um, because some things would maybe be a little bit easier, but, um, I do think that overall, most of it is solid. Trumpet. Sure. Of course. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and I think like, like I said, you know, a lot, we, we as musicians listen to other people and, and if there are no examples of other people playing these things, then we're left to our own devices, you know? And so, Obviously, college students are going to play etudes way more than they're going to play orchestral yeah. excerpts. You know, especially if they're studying with somebody that um, doesn't have any orchestral experience or, or you know, that that sort of thing. So, you know, they go, well, we're going to build you know your chops through um, etudes. We're going to build your chops up through uh, your musical experience through um, you know solos and recitals and that sort of thing. Um, obviously solos, there's a lot of recordings of a lot of different people playing the Hindemith or a lot of different people playing the Artunian, you know, but all of a sudden you look into these etudes and you go, this, this is a desert. <laughs> there's, there's very few people, professionals that have taken the time to record, you know, a Van Edelbosch or a, uh, Charlier. There are more Charliers out there in, on the web, but like, um, you know, Bousquets, these Blazovich etudes that are that are kind of awesome. Um, what else? These Duham, these Verm etudes. You know, uh, uh, the Bame uh, etudes that I've kind of been getting into. Um, you know, that like college students are going to see this stuff, and if there's no example, then they're left to their own devices, and sometimes those aren't um, great. <laughs> you know, to, to, for lack of a better word. So. Um, that's what I'm just trying to step into that gap and go, this is sure. one example. And so, you know, hopefully that at least is a guidepost of, for people to hear and go, that sounds great. I want to, I want to try to match that. Or they go, um, I don't sound like that. Um, I would never do that. It's like, that's okay too. Then hopefully somebody that sounds like you will, you know, will record that etude and then you have some, some other things to go sure. off of, you know? So this has been great, man. This has been three yeah, hours. Dude. Wow. Yeah. Really? Already? This is the I mean, like I said, I'll split Dude. it up, but this has been the longest. This is yeah, yeah. longer than Barbara's, man. This is officially my longest session. Well, it's not like anybody else has anything <laughs> to do right now. Well, you got a family, so, you know. <laughs> my wife's looking at me. She's, we're going to go for a walk on the beach here in a second, but um, well, it's still light out. I think it's 2.15 our time. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's awesome yeah, to I, talk I was going to say, I appreciate you, you doing this. If people are interested, I, I, you've, you're very vocal about this. So I'm sure a lot of my listenership already knows, but if there's places for people to find you, to reach out and chat, if they have any questions, where would they find that? Yeah. Uh, you can find me at Tromba Chris on Facebook. Um, you can find same, same name, Tromba Chris on Instagram. And uh, I have my personal page on Facebook that eventually will go back to being a personal page and not so much trumpet but for the moment it basically mirrors the Tromba Chris so um, I would ask people to just sort of follow follow along at Tromba Chris if they're interested uh, and you can find me on um, on YouTube uh, if you go to Christopher Smith Trumpet I think that'll send you in the right direction the, the link that I have is probably too long yeah. for me to 
I don't even know it here. So, um, but those are the three places um, that that I kind of that I post there. Every, everything goes onto YouTube, and everything goes onto that Tromba Chris. And um, so, awesome. Um, that's where they can find me. Um, you know, I share to a number of different pages. Um, you know, when I feel like I was saying before that if we're going to take the time to do something that we do want some eyes on it for, for the etude stuff, I only share to like two pages on Facebook, but for the larger things, it's like, no, we're going to, we're going to try to play to a full house here, you know? So I have no uh, shame in sort of like sharing that around to as many places that, that will, that will sort of take it. But you know, the idea is like everybody put in so much time on this. Like we're not going to let this play to just, you know, 50 yeah, people or something, <laughs> you know? So, well, you can um, find him yeah. there. Reach out if you have any questions or you want to connect with Chris. Uh, everybody knows yeah. where to find me. That's not spit.com at that's not spit, Facebook nice. and Instagram. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, you got anything out of it, uh, please consider leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. Um, and don't forget to share this episode on social media in case others want to be able to find yeah. it. Chris, thank you so much again for your time. I really appreciate it. Ryan, thank you. It's an honor, you know, and, and, and it really is a privilege to, to talk to you. I, I appreciate you reaching out. This was a lot of fun for me. I wouldn't normally sit with anybody for three hours, you know, and uh, this is a lot it. of fun. And I hope that, that people, uh, you know, understand that, you know, just trying to like help people, yeah. you know, try to shed some light on, on what is kind of a mystery. Um, I know it was for me com coming up through that I was like, I didn't really understand this stuff. And, and so, um, you know, uh, I am interested if people want to reach out. Um, I think I said at the beginning that, you know, I, you know, believe that if I'm going to be on social media, I'm going to take the time to respond to people. And, and so, um, if anybody does want to reach out, I'm, I'm available and, um, you know, I will see you for online, sure, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, I would like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>